Uh, kids, your word of the day this morning is light. If you're visiting with us and you have children, I just throw out a word that kind of sums up the sermon. And uh, you can count how many times that is. And we have a scorekeeper every week that you can go find out if you get that right. But So light is your word. And more importantly, maybe talk to your parents about why I chose that. Uh, my scorekeeper is somebody has already uh, been introduced. John, I'm going to have you stand up again. And there's a reason why you're it. Uh, so this is John Stewart, a wonderful member of our church, uh, leads our uh, Room in the End ministry to the homeless uh, men in our city. Um, so kids, he's your scorekeeper. Uh, he will be keeping track. You cannot argue with him. What he says is right. Um, and then this dual purpose is this. Uh, you need how many drivers for tomorrow? Three. All right, we need three drivers tomorrow. Okay, urgent. We're not leaving today without three drivers. Okay, so come talk to John. Kids, talk to John. And if you have a driver's license, talk to John after the service. Uh, huh? Okay, yeah, it has to be. It's a, it's a, it's a, we're picking up the, it's a man's ministry. So if you are a male who has a driver's license and are willing to go and, and uh, bring the, uh, our homeless friends back and forth to the church tomorrow, come talk to John. He can give you the details. So come see him afterwards, kids and men with driver's license. Thank you, John. All right. Um, so today is January 6th. Maybe you expected me to move on. From Christmas, here we are with another Christmas sermon. I get that. Uh, we are officially entering into the season where Christmas decorations and Christmas talk and all that's becoming a little unsuitable. Um, maybe some depressing for some of you. Uh, that's what I'm getting in my home. Uh, my assignment today is to take down the Christmas lights that are still on the front of our house. Abby said to me yesterday, they've got to come down. I can't look at them anymore. It's starting to affect my mood. Um, ours are still up, but at least... We're not actually turning them on at night. I happened to drive by the Randall home last night, and um, it was lit up like Christmas Eve. (sighs) It's time to move on, Randalls. It's time to move on, people. Listen, it's different for all of us, but there does come a point where Christmas has to come to an end. It's incredible for a season, but only a season. And I wonder if this is a fitting parable for the way we do our faith. Is it something that we sort of compartmentalize in our lives? For example, is it something that we kind of bring out on Sundays and then put back for the rest of the week? We bring out our Christian Jesus faith thing when it's appropriate and put it back. When it feels untimely or awkward or inappropriate, I fear that might be the case. I want to suggest to us this morning that the call of every Christian is Christmas year-round. Not the, not the traditions and the sentimentality and the nostalgia and all of that, but the heart of Christmas The meaning of Christmas, the message of Christmas, which is light has entered into this dark world. As we prepare for 2019, I want our, and by the way, um, if you're visiting with us, welcome. So, so glad you're here. Would love for you to come and be a part of our fellowship. But in a lot of ways, this sermon in the next uh, few weeks, this is really for our membership as we kind of look toward our vision as a church for the next 
year. As we prepare for 2019, I want our mindset to be Christmas for all of 2019. The light of Christ shining for all of 2019. To set us up for that, we're going to look at two things this morning. Each uh, John is, is point one, and then the Matthew passage is point two. We're going to look at the foundation of Christmas and then the continuation of Christmas. Foundation of Christmas, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. I spoke at length on this at our Christmas Eve service, so I'm not going to belabor it long uh, this morning. But we do need, before we talk about our role in the continuation of Christmas, which is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning, before we get there, we do need to once again ground ourselves in the foundation of Christmas. And the foundation, of course, is Jesus himself. If you remember our Christmas Eve service, we talked about Silent Night as an apt description of the world as we know it. In our Old Testament reading, Isaiah describes our world like this, a people walking in darkness, dwelling in a land of deep darkness. The imagery is a pervasive darkness that dominates the world. But Isaiah's promise is that the people walking in darkness will see a great light, that those dwelling in the land of deep darkness, upon them a light will shine or will dawn. And then he says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. So the newborn son would be this great light that has entered into the darkness of our world, the dawn of light into the land of deep darkness. That's what we spend time talking about Christmas Eve. That's what we celebrate in the Christmas season. You know that. Well, here is the newborn son, all grown up, and now owning the Isaiah prophecy, saying, I am the light of the world. So for, to us, a son is given, a child is born, It was not just the birth of the child, that moment when the son is given to the world that was like this flash of light in Bethlehem. No, he's saying, this is my identity. I am, ego me. I am the light of the world that has come into this darkness to banish the darkness. And wherever you go, wherever he goes, if you look at his life, you can see that this is not an empty claim. It doesn't matter where he goes. Every situation he enters into, the darkness banishes. Name your darkness, and it cannot survive in the presence of Jesus. The darkness of disease, the darkness of pain, the darkness of shame, the darkness of guilt, demonic darkness, the darkness of sin, even the darkness of a funeral that I used as my text at a memorial service last week, even a funeral cannot survive the presence of the light of the world. Darkness flees from this man. But here he is talking about his identity as the light of the world, and his promise is this, to all his followers, not just those whom he encountered in the Gospels, to all his followers, this is his promise. Look at it again and see how it mirrors Isaiah's 
promise. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Isaiah, the people walking in darkness. Jesus, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. The promise for the followers of Jesus. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, oh, how I want for you to discover the light that can only, is the only thing that can combat the darkness that I know you know is there. The darkness all around you, the darkness in your life, the darkness in your own heart. All the darkness, this is all I have to offer you is Jesus here saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. The promise for followers of Jesus is the reverse of Isaiah's grim prognosis. That we who follow the light of the world will not walk in darkness. And it is this truth that we celebrate in Christmas. The hope that light has come into this dark world and it can be ours. But it doesn't end there. Christmas is not to be viewed as a flash of light into this dark world. It was the beginning the birth, the dawn of a movement of light. Look at how this verse ends. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Will possess something. So I am the light, and also anyone who follows me will have my light. The implication and application is the light of the world did not leave when Jesus left the world. The light continues to shine within the lives of his followers who themselves possess the light of Christ. So let's ponder that together. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me has that light, meaning that light continues to this day And that's where I want to spend most of our time. We've seen the foundation of Christmas. Let's turn to Matthew 5, looking at the continuation of Christmas. Now, Sermon on the Mount. He looks at his disciples, his followers. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. He says, I'm the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. So which is it? And of course, Jesus answers both. The light of the light of the world emanates, radiates in and through his followers, which is the greater purpose of his coming. Jesus was just the beginning to a much greater end, which is the multiplication of light that he inaugurated. As it turns out, the plan of Jesus to light up the world is his light shining in the lives of his followers throughout the world. But what does that even mean for us is what I struggled with this week on this passage. In other words, this all can feel frustratingly abstract and ambiguous. Our, we, our children sing this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Great. What does that mean? What does it mean to let your light shine? What does it look like to have the light of Christ in us shining in the dark world? That's why this little parable is so important. He does not just say, 
you are the light of the world, therefore let your light shine before others. Instead, look at verse 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. So the application of the text is let your light shine. So he starts with the identity, you are the light of the world, and then the application is therefore let your light shine. But between that is something that describes what does it mean to let your light shine. That's why he says, in the same way as what I just said, let your light shine before others. So let's look at this very familiar image for direction on what it means to bear the light of Christ, let it shine in the world around us, to continue Christmas, which was inaugurated in Bethlehem. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Now, there's a lot to unpack there that we don't have time for, but on a most basic level, Jesus is envisioning two things for his followers. Difference on display. We have to be different, and that difference must be on display. That's the essential foundational things to his little parable here. Let's linger on both of those for a moment. The first thing the imagery speaks to is that followers of Jesus are to be different and glaringly so. Why'd I say that? The obvious implication of the metaphor of light and darkness that runs throughout Scripture is that there should be a clear, and when I say clear, a glaringly clear distinction between the people of God and the rest of fallen humanity. To frame it theologically, there must be an obvious distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. Jesus says, this world is dark, you are light, you cannot get more distinct than that. But, and this is very important, We need to make sure that what makes us distinct is, in fact, the light of Christ in us. And here's why I add that caveat. Because people hear the the application, we have to be distinct, we have to be different. And then they go and define that distinction and difference in ways that we are not intended to define it. That is to say, it matters what makes us different. Because religious moralism, whether that be the legalism of the Pharisees that Jesus encountered or just good old Christian fundamentalism that we might encounter, whatever it be, religious fundamentalism, moralism, legalism, whatever you want to call it, this this does take, take seriously the call of God's people to be different from the rest of the world. But the distinctions are man-made distinctions and rules that we have created. The reason why I thought of this, I had a conversation with someone recently who um, is really burned by, by Christianity and the idea of religion and all that. And, and, and they would say straight up, the reason why is because um, they call themselves a recovering, they were very traumatized by the fundamentalism of their youth that took place in, in Eastern Kentucky and um, and just wanted nothing to do with it. And so I just opened the conversation by saying, well, tell me what you think it means to be a Christian. Give me, help me conceptualize when you think Christian, what is it? And, and these were his answers. Someone who doesn't drink and goes to church. 
That's, that's a Christian. And now listen, that's distinct from the world around us. That's unique. That's a separation. Don't drink, go to church, okay. That, that'll set you apart. But these are not the distinctions that Jesus has in mind here. Ironically, that only compounds the darkness, for nothing is darker than self-righteous Pharisaicalism if you look at the life of Jesus. He was most stern with the Pharisees because apparently he viewed self-righteous religion as the deepest form of darkness because it masquerades as light. So what I'm trying to say here is it matters why you are distinct. You can't just say, okay, we got to be different. I'll determine what that difference looks like. No, 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 no. It matters why you're different. Now, having said that, I must say this, but you do have to be distinct. I offer this to those who have no problem avoiding uh, legalistic self-righteousness. In fact, you perhaps pride yourself on not being legalistic self-righteous, which is a form of legalistic self-righteousness, so there you go. But... To the other end, I would say, is there any difference between you and the rest of the world? Seriously. Can we tell that you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because Jesus is saying the difference should not just be there, it should be blinding. Light darkness. You are light in a dark world That's impossible to miss. So if we must be different, but it matters what makes us different, then how are we different? If the world is dark and we are light, what is the difference? In some ways that's undefinable. You just know it when you see it. You know it when you're around it. You just smell it. Will likes to use that language. Like you just know it. But... I am going to make it very practical for this morning. I felt the need to do this. Um, To to give you some, to to, to point you somewhere, at least somewhere I can say, okay, this is where we should be different. And the only place, I mean, I I can go several, Sermon on the Mount would be a great place. This is, this teaching is in the, um, is in the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. So the first place I suppose would be to go to the Sermon on the Mount. This is what it means to be different. And so you can go to the Beatitudes. I'm poor in spirit. The world's not poor in spirit. I'm poor in spirit. I mourn. I hunger and thirst for righteousness. So you can go through that and all the ethics of the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount. But this is where I felt led to go, and I'll explain why. I'm going to give you very practical for us this morning distinctions that you can 100% be certain are biblical distinctions that every single believer should pursue and cultivate and would make you glaringly different from the rest of the world. So different that it would blind this world. If you were to do this, there's nothing legalistic about this. There's nothing man-made about this. This is 100% explicit biblical distinctions. Where does light come from? Well, Jesus is the source of light, but he is the light of the world. But uh, we just finished our study in the Upper Room Discourse, which focuses so much on Jesus preparing his disciples to leave. He says, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving. And the reason I'm not leaving is because after I leave, my spirit will come and he will abide and he will be me with you. He will be my presence with you. And so the source of light within us, Jesus says, if you follow me, you will have the light. What is it that we have? We have his spirit, which is the source of Christ's light in us. It comes from the spirit. So then what is the light 
that the, that the Spirit produces in and through us. We do not have to wonder about that, for the Bible is explicit. Which is why I thought of it. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit... This is what makes us distinct. We have the Spirit, and this is what the Spirit produces, these fruit. Let me just go through them and demonstrate how unmistakably distinct these are from the world around us. The fruit of the Spirit is love. You think that would set you apart? In a darkened world filled with so much polarized anger and partisanship and hatred and prejudice and racism. We are a people who embody the light of love. Think people will notice that? Through the Spirit is joy in a darkened world filled with so much cynicism and pessimism and despondency and just misery. We are these strange people that embody the light of joy. We're happy. When the world is miserable. Peace. In a darkened world filled with so much violence and injustice and chaos and in disorder. We are to embody the light of peace. You think people would notice peace in this world? Patience. In a darkened world filled with short tempers and judgmental spirits and uncharitable criticism, we are to embody the light of patience. Kindness in a darkened world filled with selfishness and slander and abuse, we are these people who embody the light of kindness. Goodness in a darkened world filled with evil and immorality and unrighteousness and perversions of every kind, we are these people who embody the light of goodness. Faithfulness in a darkened world filled with lies and deceits and commitment covenant breaking, we are to embody the light of faithfulness. Gentleness in a darkened world filled with revenge and rage and spite and anger, we are to embody the light of gentleness. Self-control in a darkened world filled with overindulgence and excess and greed and addiction, we are to embody the light of self-control. Do you see what I'm saying here? Do you know how glaring and unmistakable the fruit of the Spirit would be in this dark world? So many of us want to be so radical. Do something extraordinary for Christ. We'll start with the fruit of the Spirit because this is about as radical as you can get in the eyes of the world. Nobody's doing this. Nobody looks like this. Nobody lives like this. This is as radical as you can get. unmistakably different. But it's not just difference, but difference on display. The goal is not difference for difference' sake. The goal is to engage the world with your difference. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Do you know what Jesus is saying here? Difference doesn't matter unless the difference is on display. What is the point of a lamp under a basket? There is no point. It might as well not be lit. A lamp must be put on a stand so that it gives light to all in the house. 
Now, I am going to be the first to admit the basket is very alluring. The entire premise of this teaching is that the world is a very dark place. Do you know how tempting it is to gather together the light underneath a basket and pretend that we have found another world that's full of light and not darkness? I did some, you know, this, this continuing with the theme of Christmas year round, I, I, you know, I was, when I was looking at that this week, I kind of went down the rabbit hole of this like crazy subculture of people that exist out there that literally have decided to do Christmas round, year round. In fact, their entire towns, North Pole, um, Alaska, uh, Paradise, Pennsylvania, uh, Frankenmuth, Michigan, uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. These are places that you can go and live where the lights never come down, the decorations are always hung, the music never stops. It is just Christmas, Christmas, Christmas year round if you would like to do that. Again, a fitting parable of the Christian church. We will huddle up in tiny enclaves and do Christmas year round together. It's tempting. Just get the light together and enjoy it. It's very tempting. I never knew how tempting it was until I had kids. Right? It's tempting to hide from the darkness within the seemingly, and I do say seemingly because in the end it proves unsafe, but the seemingly safe confines of a Christian subculture to hide within the confines of our own family and families that are exactly like ours to hide within the confines of a local congregation, a campus ministry, a parachurch ministry, a BSF, or whatever it is. We are tempted to live exclusively in a subculture of light, but what Jesus is saying here is that proclivity eliminates the entire purpose of the light. The light is for the world, not a subculture of the world. So, it's not just enough to be different. We must be different on display. By way of application here, I want to ask you to consider which of these two you struggle with the most. Difference or display? And the reason, the reason why I ask that is because in my observation, both as a pastor and as a follower of Jesus myself, Christians seem to fall off on one of these two extremes. Either we look like the rest of the world and there is no distinction in our life, or we take distinction seriously, but to do that, we huddle up from the rest of the world in order to pull it off, in order to maintain our distinction. Going back all the way to... Israel and the people of old in the Old Testament, all the way to Christians in our day and time, the struggle has always been the same. Two key errors, either look like the world or hide from the world. And maybe it'd be a good exercise for you or your family to ask, which is more alluring to us? Where do we drift when we're not thinking about? I'll let you prayerfully consider that question and repent where God leads you. But here's your motivation to repent, okay? When both come together, and both have to come together, When both come together, when difference is on display, when light of Christ engages darkness of the world, something remarkable happens. You know what happens? More light. The multiplication of light, as we talked about in our congregational meeting. Look at verse 16. In the same way, now look at the difference on display here. 
In the same way, let your light difference so shine before others on display. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Make no mistake about it. He's talking about conversion to the light. These people walking in darkness have seen the great light through you and then join you in giving glory to the God of light. This is the end goal, multiplication of light. The world needs more light than you. And so we multiply it. This is the true fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. A people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Ultimately, that finds its fulfillment in Jesus and in Christmas, yes. But functionally, practically, it finds its fulfillment in the followers of Jesus. We are bringing Isaiah's promise to bear to this world. The people, in other words, the people walking in darkness have seen you. Those dwelling in the land of the shadow of death, they've seen Taste Creek Presbyterian Church. As it turns out, Christmas year-round is our very calling, which is what the world wants. Myth and day, who doesn't want Christmas year-round? Not the, I granted, not the sentimentality, not the traditions and songs and movies and all that that gets old, but what Christmas is. That's why it's depressing to leave decorations up and it's depressing to bring them down, (laughs) right? Why? Because it's over. It's over. We have to wait another year for that tiny little respite that we all enjoy so much. That tiny little glimpse of joy, of peace, of love, of goodwill toward men, of families together, of neighbors together, of laughter, of happiness. That's what we love about Christmas. It's as if for a moment, for a brief moment, our world gets to pretend like it's not dark. Our world gets a glimpse of the light of the way things ought to be. But what if in the lives of the followers of the light of the world, the world discovers all of this all the time? Not in a brief season of faux light, but in a permanent encounter with the true light. That's the purpose of Christmas that began in Bethlehem and continues on through every year of every century, including 2019 in the bluegrass. Let me tell you where we're going this year. You know, it's part of the pastor's job description is to survey the flock and to prayerfully consider where are we in God's history and God's plan, what's he's doing here, what do we need, what's our congregation need. I did it two years ago. And we had a lot going on two years ago. Um, there's no need to rehash stuff, but man, there's, there's some tough stuff that we were dealing with. Even more stuff that was coming our way that we didn't even know was coming. And, and I and the other pastor just felt this overwhelming need that we need to take a break. We need to breathe. We need to sit down at the feet of Jesus and just, and just let Jesus love on us. And that's what we did. We, we went to the upper room where that's all it is. It's Jesus with his disciples basically telling them in the most profound theological ways how much he loves them and asking that they would love like he loves. And we've been doing that for a year and a half. And, and where we are now, as, as I have been thinking about and praying about over the past months, um, I, I, 
when I sit down with my New Year's stuff and I have a category that just talks about leadership um, goals and, and things like that, the only thing that was on that list was forward thinking stuff for our church. There was nothing on that list, and this is the first year this has happened, there's nothing on that list that felt like there was something that needed to be corrected, to use those words, or changed. It was all just forward-thinking growth stuff. And I just got this overwhelming sense of this. It's time to leave the room, and I mean that quite literally. At the beginning of Acts... The disciples are gathered back in the same room of the upper room. So it's, that room is very profound when you look at the thing. So you got them in the upper room where we've been for the past year and a half, two years. Then the resurrection, he appears to them in that room. He appears to Thomas in that room. Peace be with you and all that. And then they come back and gather back together in that room in Acts. And they wait. And they wait for the power of the Spirit. And then it's out of the room to the ends of the earth. And so um, where I, I felt led um, to go this year is, is to return to them. We were in the room, to return back to the room, beginning of Acts. And, and we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to be preaching through Acts, not the whole book. I'll explain that. Don't, all the details will come. Um, we're going to be preaching through Acts, um, leaving the room and going out to the ends of the earth. So the way it's going to work um, the next month here, between now and the conference, I'm going to be connecting us from where we were, um, where Jesus was in the... I'm going to go through the major events, you know, things like Peter's denial, the resurrection, stuff like that. I'm going to get us back to the room in Acts. And then, and then we are going to go into our conference, which sets the theme for this perfectly. The theme for our Good to Bluegrass conference uh, this year, um, February 14th. Um, the theme for the conference is neighbor love. We are bringing in who, in my estimation, is one of the best voices in the country. That's not hyperbole. He's one of the best voices in the country to come and preach to us. But what does it mean to love neighbor? What does it look like to reach the city? All those different things. Um, I want everybody that calls TCPC home to be a part of that conference, okay? Because it's not just a conference that is disconnected from what we're doing here. It's a conference that's going to launch us into where we're going this year. So I want everybody to register for that conference. Registration is open. Come be a part of that conference. Um, and then after that conference, we're going to start with Acts, and then, it's, and then it's go time. Because I think the Lord has positioned us. Um, we've gone through a lot. And where, if you look at how he's positioned our church and where we are, um, all the stuff that we just did in our congregational meeting, where we are financially, all these different things, it's, it's, it's time. And it's really, really exciting to go and be a light unto the world. So what are we doing this year? We're going to do Christmas year round this year, next year, and every year until the light of the world returns and lights this place up forevermore. Let me pray. Lord, thank you uh, for your promise. Thank you that you have come and, and you have shown the light of the gospel into our hearts. You have literally lit us up and we praise you for that. Now, Lord, we pray that you would use us individually and corporately as a church, to be a light unto our neighbors, our city, the state, to the ends of the earth. Nourish us now with this sacrament. Feed us and strengthen us for the cause. In Jesus' name, amen.